God wants more than that. He doesn't want us just to go to heaven. Uh, he's thrilled with that, but he wants us to be examples for other people. He wants us to put him first and make this world a better place to live while we're here. And it took me a while to understand that that's what he really wanted me to do, and that's what my goal should be. Welcome back to the Quiet Strength Radio Special, presented by Tyndale and based on the new book, Quiet Strength, The Principles, Practices, and Priorities of a Winning Life with Tony Dungy, coach of the world champion Indianapolis Colts. We take you back to the RCA Dome in Indianapolis, Indiana, as Chris Fabry continues his conversation one-on-one with a Super Bowl champion coach. There was a low moment for you when the draft came out in your senior year in college, playing for uh, Minnesota, and you sat by the phone. Tell us about that. It's uh, something that a lot of people go through, I think. Um, being a very good athlete, I was one of the better players on my team from elementary school all the way up, had a lot of athletic success, uh, was highly recruited coming out of high school, went to college. So you're just experiencing success after success. And uh, coming into the NFL draft, you feel like everything's going to continue on the same way. I didn't get selected. And that was a little bit of a shock to my system because everything had gone so right for me in my athletic career. And at that point, I remember praying, what should I do now? This is not what I expected. And I couldn't understand why some of the guys that I had played against got picked and I didn't. I was disappointed in that. But I wanted to, at that point, then prove that they were wrong. I had a chance to go to the Canadian Football League with a pretty much guaranteed contract, much more money than I could make in the NFL. But uh, something inside me, uh, as I prayed about it, said, no, I want to play with the best. I want to show people that I'm able to compete. And I ended up uh, signing with the Pittsburgh Steelers, and it was really God's providence. It was the best thing for me. Not only did I join a Super Bowl team, but that's when I really started growing as a, a Christian because I ran into a real committed group of guys, and that was right where the Lord wanted me to go. Well, let's talk about that because that cycle in your life continues. It's repeated over and over again where you ask God and you either follow this feeling that you have inside or you feel like you hear him speak to you and give you guidance, or maybe you go another way and you say, no, that wasn't exactly right, and God kind of moves you around to something else. That, that cycle's repeated, isn't it? No, it really is a, a funny cycle because in my life, it was usually great disappointments that would cause me to reflect, to pray, to look for direction. I'd end up going somewhere following a disappointment and really growing through that, and uh, that's exactly what happened. Coming out of high school, I wanted to go to Michigan State University. The coach that I had kind of admired retired during my senior year of high school. And so now, instead of just being totally focused on Michigan State, I was like, where should I go? And through a lot of things, a lot of experience, a lot of prayer, then I got directed to the University of Minnesota. I spent four years there. I expected to go to professional football. I expected to be picked, and it didn't happen. And so, you know, really a disappointing time, but God now allowing me to make a choice, something, and I, I still don't know why. It wasn't logic. It wasn't any type of voice that said, hey, go here. But it was just a feeling, a, a gut feeling after praying that this is what I should do, uh, sent me to the Steelers. I played there. 
really got very, very close with a, a group of special guys who really mentored me, uh, not only in how to play football, but how to live and, and what type of Christian I should be. I was there two years and just developed these friendships, and then I got traded to uh, the San Francisco 49ers. And you know, again, I thought, man, how is this happening? I just got myself in place, really feel good about these guys, and now I'm going all the way across country to a team I don't know anything about. But going into it with the right attitude and saying, hey, the Lord is going to show me something. I'm, I'm going out here for a purpose. I think that's what I learned uh, early on in my life, and that's what's benefited me, that usually when the disappointments come, that there's going to be something that God's going to show me that I'm going to grow from. So there was faith in your background. Your mom and dad gave you a strong foundation. You remember Bible stories when you were a kid, but you really hadn't made your faith your own, so to speak, until it was that roommate at the Steelers, right? I think I looked at it as a lot of young people do. Uh, I heard about Jesus. I knew what Christianity was all about. I knew that uh, if you accepted Christ, you went to heaven. To me, that was all I needed to know when I was six or seven years old, that I was going to heaven and God was going to take care of that for me. From the time I was six or seven until I was probably 21 years old, that's the way I lived. My parents had taught me the right things to do. Being a good person and doing what they wanted me to do was the important thing. And it wasn't until I got to Pittsburgh as an NFL player and I saw this group of guys who just seemed so energized, who seemed so excited about life, about everything they were doing. And I said, boy, what is the difference? And what I realized was it was that personal contact, that intimate contact with the Lord and the way that they were living. They were living not to play professional football, but living to glorify God. Hmm. And a lot of people would say, well, he was a good guy. Why did he have to worry about dying and going to a Christless eternity? The truth is that we all have sinned and God paid that price for us. And the miracle is that he, it's for anybody. It is, and it's a difficult lesson in different ways to look at it. Uh, for some people, that's hard to grasp, that Christ could die as a sacrifice for our sins and allow us to go to heaven. That was the easy part for me. That made sense, and that's what I wanted to do, and I understood from my mom's Sunday school lessons that that's what you had to do to go to heaven. But for many of us, it's really understanding that, that God wants more than that. He doesn't want us just to go to heaven. Uh, he's thrilled with that but he wants us to be examples for other people. He wants us to put him first and make this world a better place to live while we're here. And it took me a while to understand that that's what he really wanted me to do and that's what my goal should be. Cleo Mae Dungy. Tell us about her. You write that uh, I was in seventh grade before I beat my mom in a foot race. <laughs> my mom was the, actually the athlete of the family. She was a tremendous athlete, loved sports. She was born in Canada and played basketball and, and just about any other sports you could play. But she enjoyed competing and she was uh, so much fun to be around. And it took me a long time in a lot of sports, bowling, golf, tennis, running, I was probably well into junior high and in, in some of those sports into high school before I could beat her. But she had a zest for life and she enjoyed teaching. She enjoyed teaching us as her children how we should live. She enjoyed teaching other kids in her job as an English teacher. Wilbur was your dad's name, right? Tell me about him. 
My dad was one of the quietest guys you probably would ever want to know. He was a, a tremendous man, very well learned, but you would never know it unless you ask him. He wasn't the type that would tell you, uh, here's what you should do. Most of my friends never knew he had a PhD. He was just a guy who would sit back and listen. If you asked him a question, most of the time he had the answer. Uh, but again, he was a teacher and his joy in life was getting people to expand their horizons, to do more than they thought they could do. But he was very, very special in that I think he taught me that there's a, a way to do things, there's a right way to do everything, and the right way is, is the best way. <laughs> Let's move to your wife. I have read the book Quiet Strength, I've mined it, I've delved deep into it, looking for clues to the dating life of Tony Dungy. And I have yet to find a lot in there. Lauren was not the only girl that you ever dated. She's not the only one, but I wasn't a big dater. Uh, and she found that hard to believe. You know, me being a high school quarterback and a college athlete and a professional athlete, uh, I went out with girls, but went out really to have a good time. And I'd be in group settings a lot more than I was individual settings. I knew what I was looking for, and I was looking for, you know, someone probably who was like my mom. And I also was very focused and, and driven uh, career-wise, school-wise. So um, when I was young, high school and college, I, I didn't date a lot. And uh, when I finally met my wife, I was 25 years old, and I, I really knew what I wanted. And right away when we started seeing each other, it clicked very quickly. Well, as a matter of fact, it was the pastor of the church that kind of got you two together, wasn't it? It was. I was working for the Steelers, and there's a very large church in suburban Pittsburgh that always had a father and son breakfast the Saturday before Father's Day. We'd always had a player go out there and speak. And uh, this particular year, the guy who was supposed to go got sick right at the last minute Friday night. So the chaplain called me and said, hey, we just need you to go and, and do this. And I was like, Hollis, it's Saturday morning. You know, I really had some other things in mind. But I went, and uh, the pastor, John Guest, he said, hey, I don't know anything about you. I have all this material prepared on Ted Peterson. Sit with me so uh, I can introduce you. And we did. We sat through the breakfast, and then I gave my talk. Right afterwards, he said, you know, you'll find this hard to believe, but I think there's someone in our congregation you really ought to meet. <laughs> it, it wasn't really what I wanted to hear. I wasn't so sure about it, but he was very persistent. And he introduced us about three weeks later, and in about four months, we were engaged. Really? Did you know at first sight this is the one? Not at first sight, but I, I was really um, I was impressed at first sight because my original thought was this is a real large church, you know, 5,000 people. If there's somebody that can't find anybody uh, in this whole organization, you know, she might not be that attractive. <laughs> but I was really, when I opened the door, I said, wow, this is kind of unbelievable. But after we started just really hanging out, we would go to church on Sunday, and then we'd go out and do something, ride bikes, play tennis, and talk. And the more we talked, the more I could see what she felt about life and her driving force was Christ. And because of that, we had a lot of the same ideas about how we wanted to live and, and what kind of families we wanted. And it was a very, very short time before I figured out that you know she was going to be someone special. And, and I really do think the Lord 
put her in my life to really balance me and make me complete. Did you know at that point then when you first got married that you wanted to have six kids? <laughs> it's funny because Lauren always said she wanted to continue to teach school too and she didn't want to lose her identity. And so we kind of didn't know how things were going to go. My career in coaching was just starting off early and she wanted to continue to teach. The, the Lord had other plans and she comes from a big family. So I knew eventually that, that we'd end up having a few kids, but I didn't know uh, how to what lengths she would take it. <laughs> well, you have adopted three now, and that whole process really is a picture of God adopting us and grafting us in. What have you learned from your kids and from your adopted kids? Well, it's, it's been special. You know, we had three older kids, and then uh, we had a stretch after Eric was born. Eric's 15 now, and Jordan is six. So we had a nine-year period in there where, you know, we're just kind of nurturing the three older ones. And my wife said, hey, the, the nest is getting kind of quiet. They're all at school, and uh, we set out to look into it. And what I learned was, especially in the African-American community, there is a tremendous need for adoptive parents. There are a lot of kids who need homes. And that's the first thing that struck me. Uh, I didn't really look at it that way. I looked at it as something that, hey, maybe we want to do. But once I saw the need, then it became to me kind of a, a ministry, just like it did for my wife. We adopted a, a little boy. He was two days old when we got him and he's been the most tremendous uh, blessing for us because we've seen some things in his life that really explain what the Lord is all about. Now that was a son, I can't remember his name. His name is Jordan. Jordan. He has a condition that where he cannot feel pain. Yeah, he's missing one gene is all, uh -huh. and because of that, he doesn't have the, the conductors that go from the external part of the body to the brain that it just gets short-circuited. So he feels pressure, but he doesn't feel anything any different. You could touch him like that or hit him with everything you got and it feels wow. the same. At first you think, well, that'd be a real blessing not to be able to feel any pain. But we found out that it's really not. Pain is the way God uses to turn us in the right direction. And without that, it's hard to, for anybody to learn what's good for you and what isn't. So everything he has to learn through reasoning, and it takes a long time. And, mm. and my wife has been tremendous, but you know it takes a long time to teach him not to reach into the oven to wait until the food comes out. See, now, uh, that, and that's <laughs> so foreign to most people to think that your son would reach in and not just grab a cookie, he could grab the plate or the- Grab the pan, the pan start yeah. eating the cookies, grab the rack, everything, and you know, to be able to teach him when he has no concept of hot, burn, uh, that this is not good for you. Eventually, this is gonna cause a problem if you keep doing it. And it really made us understand why the Lord allows some pain because pain sometimes will stop you before you make big mistakes. And um, without that, you have to learn through experience. And uh, it's been special. My wife has been so loving, so patient uh, with Jordan, and he takes so much time, but that didn't stop her, you know. We have uh, adopted two others afterwards, a little girl and a little boy, and she's a perfect mom. Is she gonna stop? <laughs> Is she gonna stop adopting? I really don't think so. Her mom and dad are in their 80s, and they have 
kids who are in junior high now. They've adopted and uh, after their children have gone on. So I kind of see that as my future, uh, being in my 70s or 80s with young kids. But that's Lauren's gift. That's what she really loves doing, and, and she's great at it. So there's probably a few more Dungies who are out there. As a matter of fact, Jordan, uh the way you found this out was that he fell off the bed. Yeah, he had had a couple of incidents that tipped us off that things may not be exactly normal, getting his first shots, and he really didn't cry, no reaction, and people just said, oh, you got a really good baby. And we kind of thought that for a while. Then he was about five months old, and I was babysitting when Lauren was out, and I was watching a football game, and he fell off the bed. And I heard the thump, and I just cringed and waiting for the cry, and I didn't get it. And when I looked at him, just no reaction, no response. And that's when we knew, hey, this is something we might need to get it checked out. Took him to a neurologist, and uh, after a lot of testing, I realized that, that he had this condition that is very, very rare. You're listening to the Quiet Strength Radio Special, presented by Tandale House Publishers and based on the new book, Quiet Strength the principles, practices, and priorities of a winning life with Tony Dungy, coach of the world champion Indianapolis Colts. In Quiet Strength, you'll learn significant lessons in leadership and in life. It's always a shock, uh, especially when it's not expected. And what you have to do is try to focus in on, you know, what is God trying to teach us with this? What does he want us to do? Where is he sending us? And that's what I've tried to do with every disappointment that I've had in life, to not focus on why did this happen to me, but where's the Lord taking me with this? Coming next, Tony Dungy answers the question, does Peyton Manning call the plays from the line of scrimmage? Plus, he'll share the lowest moment of his life as a father. We'll be right back. <laughs> 